Good morning, Avondale Memorial Church. It's a real privilege for me to be here with you this morning to take the, the main service. And I know there are many capable, experienced pastors in the audience and people who have served the church for many, many years, many decades, who have even risked their lives and even their families' lives at times and gone into the mission fields. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is something that's become very close to my heart. I am a little bit of a Bible student and I like studying a little bit of history and also prophecy. And as you look at history and prophecy, you'll notice that quite often we talk about, you know, the persecution of the past. If we study the book of Acts, as we did last quarter in our Sabbath school lessons, we read a lot about persecution. And as we look to the future and what's going to happen, we know that there'll be persecution in the future as well. But I've become very aware of late that there's a persecution happening around the world on a daily basis. Did you know that there's about 100 million Christians who are persecuted for their faith every year? And depending on which website you go to, you'll actually discover that some of them say it's up to 215 million. So I'm not sure how these numbers are. It's a little bit hard to estimate them because in some closed countries, restricted countries, you never quite have full access. Like, for example, the country of North Korea. The estimate is there in North Korea there's about 100,000 Christians in labor camps and in prisons. Many of them are executed, and around the world the estimate is from a number of agencies that there is over 10,000 people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, loving more than their own lives, who are prepared to lay down their lives in the cause of Christ every single year. We don't hear too much of them because the secular news doesn't pick up too much about them. Now, just before I open with a word of prayer and read our scripture reading, I just want to ask your um, help this morning. Apparently this morning when I spoke in the Sabbath school, I speak a little bit too fast. And my wife encourages me. Now, she's sitting so far back, I can't see a hand signal, so that's not going to work. So could you just let me know to slow down a little bit if I speak too fast? I think I speak normally. And uh, we were at the Romanian Seventh-day Adventist Church, the base in the Romanian Seventh-day Adventist Church in... Melbourne, uh, must have been four or five weeks ago now, and they actually translate, they're not with a translator beside you, but they have the headset, so while you're speaking, someone translates. So after I took the divine service, I had to take the afternoon program there as well, and they asked me politely, please can you slow down, because the translator is struggling to keep up. So I slowed down, and I think the older generation would know this, we grew up with... um, Radio, now I can't remember the name. You know the turntables where you play your music? What do you call those things? Turntables. Record players, players, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking, CD player for a second, but record players. And uh, my grandfather used to have 78s. You remember the 78s and the 45s and the singles? And then, of course, they came out with the LPs, the long play at 33. And uh, as kids, we used to think it very fu- funny to take the old 45s as singles and speed them up to 78, and you know, it runs really funny. And then we'll take the 45s and slow them down to 33, and of course, then it really drags. Anyway, that's how I felt I was preaching. But then I asked my wife afterwards, what did it sound like? She said it sounded normal. So please, uh, apparently I don't have a way to judge my speed, but I'd appreciate your help if you can just do that. If I just see one, I won't sure if it, but if I see more than, more than one, I'll realize, okay, this is serious, I'll have to slow down a little bit. So I appreciate if you can help me with that. But just as we start, I just invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, it's our privilege to meet with you, Father. We are told in your word that where two or three together, there you will be in our midst. 
And Father, we claim this promise by faith. We know you are here and we welcome you. We welcome your presence. We welcome you, holy angels. We also pray, Father, for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each one of us. That as I speak, Father, and as people hear, that your Spirit will move amongst us to draw us closer to you, to revive and reform us. We are told, Father, that the last movements will be rapid ones and that great changes are soon to take place in this earth. And, Father, we just want to be ready, not then, but, Father, ready now, walking with you, having the love of God shared abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which you have told us has been given to us. Bless our time together, Father. Thank you for hearing our prayer. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 6, and I'll read three verses there, Revelation chapter 6 from verse 9. And it reads, Then he opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed." Just recently, I started a program on 3ABN Radio. How many people listen to 3ABN Australia Radio here? Can I see? Okay, maybe 10%. Very low. We do have a radio uh, signal here, an FM signal. It's not very strong, but I think it covers as far as Skurrenbong from Morissette. And is on, who can tell me what the uh, frequency is? 87.8. is Faith FM. Sister organization, and of course, people say, Out oh, your opposition, but there's no opposition. We work for the same Lord, don't we? So I've even done some work with, uh, with Faith FM, but we're on 87.8. So if you're traveling around, quite often you'll find either ourselves or Faith FM on 87.6, 87.8, or on 88 FM. And I recently developed a program called Souls Under the Altar based on this. And this, the hymn we sang just before, Once to Every Man and Nation was a hymn that I chose for that. So we've developed about 20 programs uh, in that series so far, and it actually spends time talking about the people who are persecuted. starts with the New Testament, starts with John the Baptist, because quite often we refer to as Stephen, the deacon, as the first person martyred, but he was actually not the first. In, in, in really, he's actually the third, if you include Jesus. Jesus was martyred, but of course, he's so much more than a martyr. He's our saviour. So I, I picked that music that we just sang, Once to Every Man and Nation, and started this program where I would interview people from the Voice of the Martyrs and also the CEO on a regular basis. What we've done subsequent to that at 3ABN is that um, you can actually go to 3abnaustralia.org.au and you can go to the Listen button. It's a nice photo of John and Rosemary, but you can go and click on the Listen button or the Radio button, just look under Radio, and you can then go and listen to radio programs, either live stream them, that's what your web um, page would look like. And there's a whole list of programs there on demand that you can listen to. We've got Faith and Science with Dr. John Ashton, and there's a few uh, Unchained with Pastor Rod Anderson, and, and so forth. 
Now, the program very, very much down the bottom, Souls Under the Altar, has 20 programs you can listen to, stories of people from restricted countries where they are persecuted, and then also have some Bible teachings of Jesus, why people are persecuted. And then at the same time, we also have uh, testimonies of people who have been persecuted. Now, I got in touch with Voice of the Martyrs through a friend of mine that I worked with many, many years ago, and I think it's at least a quarter of a century, 25 years or more, that we met at the church. He was a new Christian, was brought up in Malaysia, and then we met in Auckland, and he started working for Voice of the Martyrs. We had not had contact for 10 or 15 years, and he'd been praying, and the Lord had said, get in touch with Etty. And I didn't know anything about his prayer or what this was, but he believes it was a divine appointment. So I started talking to him, and one thing led to another. And before I know it, I'm actually traveling with the Voice of the Martyrs CEO to China, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second, and also to Korea. Now, North Korea is the most restricted country in the world on many websites as being the number one country for persecution. That's just a little bit about the program called Souls Under the Altar. Now, Voice of the Martyrs started back in 1969 in this country, so next year it will be 50 years old, and they do an incredible work in connecting people in the free world, Christians in the free world, with those people who are being persecuted in other parts of the world. Currently, there's over 50 countries in the world where Christians are persecuted. Now, persecutors, funny enough, don't ask you what your denomination is. So therefore, they are a non-denominational organization. Typically, if you're a Christian, they throw you all in the same basket and uh, they will persecute, they will uh, restrict. Even in free countries like India, supposedly free, where they have a constitution that guarantees religious freedom, there's still persecution, there's still martyrdom. And in the northern parts, and the northeastern parts of India, in those tribal areas, a lot of Christians are being persecuted. And they're claiming if anybody converts from Hinduism to Christianity, what they are doing is uh, they, they're saying that the Christians are forcing people to, to convert. Well, that's not the case at all, but they're using this as forced conversion and they're trying to have their regions outlaw forced conversions. But no one's being forced. As a matter of fact, the opposite is actually the case. If they come to you and find that you've converted to Christianity, they will force you to convert back or they will chase you off your land, they will kill you, they will... Um, they will try and embarrass you. And I've seen photos. A gentleman that I recently was in touch with, and he's on this program as well, um, Souls Under the Altar, from India, shared with me some photos where Christian evangelists and their wives were stripped naked in public just to embarrass them and to be a, a deterrent to other people who would dare come into their region and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen photos where a man's head has been half-shaved, he's been put on a donkey and paraded like Jesus, and they've taken him through the town square, beaten him, just to be a deterrent. So even the constitution in some countries is actually not protecting people's religious liberty and religious freedoms. So they operate in over 50 countries around the world. And um, my trip recently to China, you can see at the top right-hand corner there, you can see North Korea. I met some people. We were with Voice of the Martyrs Korea. And they'd taken us to a government facility, told me the name of what it was, and I, of course, typically what I do is I want to find out where this facility is, and I'm trying to Google this name, trying to find it. I can't find it in any other maps. I thought, well, maybe I'm just spelling it wrong. But even that Sunday morning when we traveled with the, um, the country directors for Voice of the Martyrs Korea, and I was traveling with the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs Australia, we traveled about two and a half hours, and it took us a while to find the right route because it's not on the maps. It's a secret government facility. 
But there we meet, met some people who have defected from North Korea. Many of them are Christians, and we met all the Christians that were in that facility at the time. Numbers were down a little bit, but there was probably about 15 to 20 young men, and uh, there were also ladies in another, another part of the facility, which we didn't meet that day, who were able to share some of their stories with us. A young man, about 20 years of age, told us that him, his mum, his aunt and his sister were the only Christians there that they knew of, and then finally they knew of some others, but only through rumour, because the North Korean government has got such a strict surveillance system set up that you cannot move without any freedom. Matter of fact, you can't even move from one town to another without permission. So they never spoke to any other Christians. They used to just meet in their house secretly and then just have worship services. So his mum, his aunt, him and his sister. But somehow, finally, someone found out about them. They discovered that they were Christians and they were arrested. And his sister, unfortunately, was taken away and she was sex trafficked, something that's worse than being thrown into prison. And this happens all the time. Somehow, by the, uh, by the um, providence of God, they were able to escape and get away, and they escaped up north through China. The shortest route is to go across the DMZ, but they'll probably shoot you, so it's very unsafe to go from North Korea to South Korea. Go up through China, through Laos, into um, Thailand, and then there they were able to be picked up by the South Koreans. And he was telling us his story. You could tell the sadness in his eyes. He hadn't seen his mum and them for over a month, because at this facility... Because um, life in North Korea is very tough, they are shown how to use escalators and lifts, and they use how to catch a bus because it's a different system. He told us, for example, that if you wanted to buy a bag of rice in their capital, it would cost you 15 US dollars to buy a bag of one kilogram rice, and half of it would be grit and stones and bits and pieces. You can not even use half of it. Now, a school teacher in Phnom Penh earns only three U.S. dollars a month. So how do they save up for this money? Well, they have to have a second and a third job. And while we were talking to some of these people, they said, listen, when we were living in North Korea, although it was very, very difficult, very harsh, and sometimes we wondered if we would be able to survive because of a lack of food, they said to us they felt alive because that pursuit of trying to survive and live and edge out a living drove them. Some of them have been now in South Korea for 10 years or more. The government's provided them with housing. They've given them a bit of money. And they said, no, here we find a lot of North Koreans becoming depressed and even becoming suicidal because their drive that they used to have is no longer there. I said, but wasn't there, surely with all those difficulties in North Korea, wasn't there people there who were depressed? He said they were very rare. The pursuit for life and the desire to stay alive kept us going. It's when you have a good life and an easy life, it says, then is when depression quite often sets in. So they struggle in South Korea in, in, in a big way. So that was an eye-opener. The other thing that one of the ladies told me, is said, you know, us people in North Korea, we came to the Lord through suffering. We realized our need of a power greater than ourselves just to survive and cope, and we came to the Lord through suffering. What makes people in the West come to the Lord. They're just going to get their head around it. What makes you think you need the Lord? You've got everything. You've got plenty of money. You don't worry where the next um, you know, bread or food is going to come to your table. And I said, well, we all are sinners. We all need a Savior and we all need to act. Um, we all need to um, come to the Lord through Jesus Christ because of that great need. Otherwise, we only have this life and what else? So she sort of tried to understand it, but really struggled with it. It's interesting how their mindset is very different. I'm just going to change gears for a moment now and just tell you another story from a, a person I spoke to. He's an Australian, but he's been living in Nigeria for about 
probably about 14 years now. And he's been working in an area in northern Nigeria where there's a lot of Muslims. He'd set up an evangelism school and had been doing evangelism. And in 2008, there was a lot of persecution that broke out from the Muslims on, on Christians there. And uh, they even had uh, Muslims, you know, chasing people around their campus and that. And some people were, were killed. But as things started dying down a little bit, uh, and there was a sort of a type of peace, he realized that um, there were still some rumors coming through from imminent attacks. And he couldn't judge whether this was just a rumor or whether this was actually the truth. Then he realized that to his dismay, he had not made contact with any of the Muslims in their town. So they're just outside of town. And he decided under, uh, he believes, the impression of the Holy Spirit that he had to start building bridges with the community around them. How are we to be the light of the earth if we never mingle with them, or the salt of the earth if we never mingle with them? So he went and saw these, uh, these people and said, look, I'd like to set up an appointment and discuss a few things with you. Um, would you prepare to come to my office and have this conversation? So they ended up arriving in his office, and the first thing he did, he said, listen, I would like to apologize to you because I have not been living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he went to Matthew chapter 5 and he talks about, you know, where Jesus talks about if we only read those in the marketplace that we know, what are we better than the, the, the other sinners, you know? And I have not done that. So he started presenting the gospel as we see on the Sermon of the Mount to these people. And they then, he then said, listen, I'm going to do something for your community. What can we do? He said, I want to offer our services because we are a training facility. Is there any training or education we can provide to you? And the imams and the elders said to him, listen, our people are computer illiterate, would you be able to set up a computer training facility right in the heart of the Muslim quarters? And he said, yes, we'll do that. And he started doing that. And after a while, as prejudice started breaking down after a number of months, they started, the Muslims started sending some of their children to go to his evangelism training center to go and learn the gospel of peace from Jesus Christ. It's incredible. What happens is subsequent to that, and this is now two years later, persecution breaks out again. Some of the Fulani herdsmen come in and they kill some Christians. At that time, some of the Christians in the town retaliate. They stop all the traffic. They pull out anybody that looks like a Muslim out of their cars, beat them. Some of them are killed. So now this gets a little bit complicated because typically we think Islam onto Christian. But now we see a situation where Christians are now killing Muslims whether they're innocent or not, whether they participated in these atrocities or not. And uh, he's getting really worried about this because he doesn't want any retaliation. He's telling his people to stay put. He then runs into town because he's a Christian, so he's probably going to be okay. And when he gets to the training facility, he sees the imams there with all the young people, all the youth they brought into that facility and shut them in. He said, you guys don't retaliate. And I said, well, how did these people distinguish between you being a Christian and these other Christians who are persecuting the Muslims now? He said, well, the issue in Africa is in a lot of places there's a lot of poverty. Then you have some church denominations that come over and they preach the prosperity gospel. You come to the Lord, you'll get a better job, you'll get housing, you'll get clothing. It's, you know the prosperity gospel. There's a lot of people that even preach it on some of the, uh, the, the, the Christian uh, church channels. And he said what had happened is we'd spend so much time with these people and spend so much time in the gospel of Christ that they could distinguish between our gospel and us following Jesus Christ and the prosperity gospel. And they were able to distinguish between that two. What a remarkable story. And so what happens is there was no retaliation and finally the police came in and they were able to um, settle the, the, the issues there. 
So that's a story, and, and, and that just proves to me clearly that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of peace. And they often preach that, blesses other peacemakers, for they shall be, what does the word say? Called the sons of God? That's right. Now, uh, another gentleman, I don't know if you know a gentleman by the name of Rodney McCallum. Does anybody know Rodney McCallum? He does some work amongst the, the Muslims in, in many parts of the world. He told me that he was over in America, in New York, and there was a, a young person who'd been radicalized in his mosque. And his mum had spoken to the imam, his mum had spoken to, uh, the, um, to the child as well, and uh, couldn't do anything. And in desperation, she'd heard about Rodney and asked Rodney if he would just spend some time with him. So she set up this appointment with him. And you know what Rodney preached? The Sermon on the Mount. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers, as Jesus pronounced that blessing. And within two hours, this person was taken from a radical mindset and he became a person of peace because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that is very powerful. Now, I'm just going to run through some of my slides here because I've run a little bit ahead of myself. But Voice of the Martyrs was set up by a gentleman called Richard Wormbrandt. He's from Romania and he was a born a Jew. There was a secular Jew. But under the Nazis in Romania, he was, uh, he was thrown in prison. And then, of course, when the Nazis left, then the communists came and at that time he'd become a Christian, and he was again thrown into prison for 14 years. But this is his slogan, and he says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are also in the body, or in the body also. Now, obviously, we have a physical body, but I think it even goes broader than that because we are part of the body of Christ, so we are to remember those who are in prison and are being persecuted. This book, the Bible, is illegal in 52 countries around the world. Did you know that? Some people, just for having the Bible, will be arrested, they will be tortured if they don't give up their faith, or they would be executed. In places like North Korea, they won't even tell you you're going to be executed. You don't even go to in front of a judge. They'll determine when you get executed, next thing you know you're getting taken away and, and you're, um, you're executed, as simple as that. So they work in these restricted countries. What they do is they help families of the martyrs with food, with clothing, with shelter, safe drinking water, prison visitations, financial assistance, education for children affected by persecution. And you know this text there in Mark chapter 9, verse 41, where it says, For whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, they have filters, they have water filters. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's many organizations. We have some great organizations that we are connected through in this church, even like you know, Asian Aid and the others who also provide clear, clean drinking water for people and so on. But they found this place called the Life Straw Water Filter. It's about $500, but this, this machine can filter water at 11 liters per hour. And it can filter all the bacteria, 99.9999%, viruses, protozoan, parasites and that. You can take seawater and pour it into this thing and it will bring up pure drinking water at the other side. So they provide drinking water for the people as well. But basically what they do is they feed the hungry, they uh, give drink to the thirsty, they take the stranger in, they have safe houses for people who are being persecuted, they clothe the naked. Another story out of, out of India. In India, quite often when they chase the people off their... Um, they're farmland, and they are subsistence farmers. That's their livelihood, and sometimes they sell a little bit to get money as well. Quite often, they will try and strip them of their clothing as well, so they've got to flee into the jungle naked. And then through the agencies that uh, Voice of the Martyrs work through, they will provide them with clothing. So they clothe the naked, they visit the sick as well, and those who are in prison. 
And so what they do is they look for people in free countries to engage with them, to enter into fellowship with these people who have all these needs. And the, the biggest request they have always is prayer. The second request they have is Bibles. They need Bibles. Now, someone was just telling me, I think it might have been you, Paul. In Kenya, they just distributed Bibles, and I think there were 60 Bibles, and a church rose up, as a Seventh-day Adventist church rose up just from people reading the Bible. Now, I've heard those stories more and more around the world where people are reading the Bible, even in prison ministries. You know, there's other church organizations that provide Bibles. They're not Seventh-day Adventists necessarily, or... Uh, provide Bibles, the people, the inmates in prison start reading the Bibles, next minute they're keeping the Sabbath. Why? Because they can't see Sunday in there. And then someone has to give them a brain flush to try and take that away if they're from the other denominations. But praise God, when you read the Bible and the Holy Spirit works with the word of truth, the spirit of truth works with the word of truth, it is very obvious which day is the seventh day of the Lord thy God. Richard Wormbrand, I'll just tell you a little bit about his story. Um, He was in prison for 14 years. Three of those years was in solitary confinement and he met many Seventh-day Adventists in prison. Let me just ask this question before I go any further. How many of you watch 3ABN Australia or 3ABN International on a regular basis? Okay, just as many as watch, uh, listen to radio. Okay, well there was a program on there probably about two or three weeks ago now called 3ABN Now. John and Rosemary host that and I was able to share the experience that he had with Seventh-day Adventists in prison. You know, the Seventh-day Adventists are persecuted more than any other denomination, and he clearly brings that out. These people were in prison, and because they were trying to be faithful to God in in regards to their diet and their faithfulness on the Sabbath, and another one which I'll mention in a moment, because they wouldn't work on the Sabbath, they would be beaten every Sabbath. And he said, quite often, we're inside the prison, we've got no outside light or view, we don't know which day of the week it is, sometimes we don't even know if it's day or night. He said, but some peculiar thing, the Adventists always knew which day of the week it was. And we knew which day of the week it was because on Sabbath, because they refused to work, they would get beaten. And we could hear their cries and go, it must be Saturday, it must be Sabbath because the Adventists are being beaten. The other thing that was peculiar about them is they wouldn't eat the soup and they wouldn't eat the meat because they didn't know if it was pork. And of course, the, the communists wouldn't tell them. So they would live on half the calories. Now, there wasn't enough calories basically to sustain a, a, a person. So they were all emaciated and starving. But somehow the Adventists, even on half the calories, survived, which was nothing short of a miracle. And some of them would even go so far as, uh, you know, they would tithe their bread. Maybe get a slice of bread once a day. Every tenth slice of bread they get, they would give it to someone older or somebody that's uh, more sick than they were. So he, he speaks about them as saints. And he said he never knew of any Adventists who actually gave in or surrendered, even under severe persecution, to what was happening. Richard Wormbrand makes that statement. He says, a man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the things he is ready to die for. Now, friends, we've uh, ran out of time, so I'm going to just not talk about China too much, except for this one quick story. When I was in China, I met with the underground church. They're not similar Venice. Met a humble man with a very sharp mind. I could tell his mind was sharp just in the way he structured things. He is an ex-merchant banker that God had called to start up an underground church. He used to be part of the main church, the three-self patriotic movement, but soon realized that that is controlled by government agencies which are communist and you cannot preach the gospel. You cannot preach the resurrection of Christ. You cannot preach the second coming of Christ. 
and there are many other things that you cannot preach. So he finally started an underground church and over about 20 or 30 year time span now, he's trained up 450 evangelists and pastors. Turns out that he has half a million people in his underground church. This church is made up, now listen to this, this church is made up of house churches between 15 to a maximum of 30 members. Each pastor has 1,000 to 1,200 members on them. And nowadays when they baptize, they baptize once a year, July and August during the summer months. And just in Beijing alone in July and August, they baptized over 3,000 new members. When we left, he asked, how, we asked, how can we help? The CEO, of course, is donating money to some programs uh, from Voice of the Martyrs, Tony Benjamin. And he said, first of all, can we ask you to pray? I said, what do we pray for? Just like I've asked many other people, do we pray that persecution would cease? He goes, no, don't pray for that. Pray that we will remain faithful, that God will give us strength to resist persecution. He said, because funny enough, the church actually grows faster under persecution. People tend to be more sincere when they join the church. He said, we don't have to worry about tears so much as perhaps they do in the West, (laughs) which is quite interesting. And the other one he asked is ask for Christian resources. So one of the things that they have a challenge with, uh, while these groups seem to be very strong Protestants, they do not realize that they have fallen for the counterfeit Reformation theology in regards to Antichrist, the Second Coming, Secret Rapture, Seven-Year Tribulation, Futurism, Preterism, and they've bought into that somehow. So the third thing he asked for was resources, and I've been praying, Lord, how can I provide resources for him? Because we had a platform we were using, it was called, um, it's, like, it's like WhatsApp or Viber, if any one of you use those. Well, they restricted, you can't have access to China through those. There's another one called Telegram, and that was shut down about six weeks ago. But there's still one that's open. I won't mention the name. It's still open and working. And I've been able to make contact with him. And I'm praying, Lord, do I write some scripts and then send it to him that they can translate it? Because they have a publishing facility there. And finally enough, through friends of mine at 3ABN, I found out that Amazing Facts actually has some Bible studies in Mandarin, in Chinese. And I've been able to send these across to them now. We're getting to the pointy end of some of these Bible studies because last week I sent through the Bible study on the Ten Commandments. The next one I'm standing this weekend is on the Seventh-day Sabbath. And I already know there's prejudice there because he spoke just in passing. He said, we've got to be very careful. We've got to protect our people, not only from the communists, but also from these other groups that come in with prosperity gospel and some of these other sects. And he mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and Seventh-day Adventists. Little knowing, because he never asked me what my denomination was. I'm just a brother. Little knowing that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. But anyway, he's now studying Seventh-day Adventist material and absolutely loving it, reading it through every time and going, this is the gospel, brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And he goes, the, the, the Mandarin is even perfect. He thought that, you know, we'll give him some second-rated Mandarin translation, but it's been very good. So I pr- ask that you would please pray in your prayers, because I think this is the big deal, access to a half a million people that you would please pray for Pastor Daniel and his team. Pastor Daniel and his team, when we were in their house one day just having lunch in a um, house church where we had worship together, the hymn we sang, Once to Every Man and Nation, was sung by them. And the oldest member of the church, the oldest elder, so the top three elders, he's 95 years old, I remember him singing with gusto this song, and that's why it's so special to me. But I picked it two months earlier before my trip for the program, so I believe that's a divine appointment. I've been praying for divine appointments, thinking one-on-ones. I never thought half a million Chinese Christians in the underground church. There's more stories to tell, but we've run out of time. But I just want to encourage you, if you're uh, you're interested to know more about this, we can help you sign up to uh, newsletters. But ultimately, please just remember Pastor Daniel in a prayer. We're asking for prayers, 
and they're always looking for Bibles because they break the back of the Bibles. This is the tre- secret training facility he took me to. We almost didn't go there, but the day we were going there, he said, two days before, he said, look, if it rains, we'll take you. If it doesn't rain, then we can't take you because the government has spies. They pay retired people to spy on anything peculiar. They've got to ring, they've got to ring the police. So foreigners show up or a car that they don't know. So it was raining heavily that day and they were able to take us into this facility. This is actually in the roof. There's a stair where that little light is there behind me. There's a stair that actually comes up through there and then you can come up there and they, they train 25 people for a year or two at a time. And that's how they've trained 450 pastors. Now, this is a little bit more. This is where they, uh, they sleep and pray and um, they also have their regular baptisms as well. So they've asked for prayer, for Bibles and Christian resources. And by the grace of God, we have plenty of resources available through the Seventh-day Adventist Connections. At the end of the service, if you go outside, we'll be able to provide you with opportunity to sign up to the newsletter. And if you sign up, what we'll do is we'll give you a book, uh, Tortured for Christ. There's also a movie out by the same name, Tortured for Christ, The Richard Wormbrand Story, and it is an absolute eye-opener. Has anyone read that book that is here? Okay, quite a f- Wow, okay, as many people as watch 3ABN. Well, praise the Lord. I want to thank you for your time today. I pray that you would, uh, God would bless you as you enter into fellowship with the persecuted church around the world through prayer. And we invite the uh, people just to come up there and we'll close with our last hymn.